Magic is what happens when you find balance between method and madness, science and art. Welcome to the Magic Maker Podcast, the place where entrepreneurs who want to find magic can access aha moments and simple steps to big dreams. I'm your host, Jay Nicole Smith, but you can call me Nick. Let's get started, shall we? Hey, Magic Makers, welcome back to our second ever episode in 2020. (sighs) I don't know about you, but I am absolutely loving how this year is shaping up already. It already feels magical and bursting with opportunity and just have had some incredible conversations and collaborations and it just, I am absolutely buzzing with all the potential that this year holds. So I hope that your experience has been similar and you are stepping into this year feeling excited and inspired and full of beautiful, wonderful, creative energy. The conversation that I'm bringing you today, I'm really excited about, but for some kind of funny reasons. <laughs> First of all, uh, this guest I'm welcoming back. Uh, she joined us last year, and it was an incredible honor and pleasure to have her on the first time um, because she's a woman that uh, has been very instrumental in my journey as an entrepreneur. Um, but I'm also really excited to have her back because as I've gotten to know her a bit better and uh, learned a little bit more about her and her business and her journey, Um, we decided it was a great opportunity to share some really sort of raw, uncensored and personal stuff. Um, because, and this conversation wasn't initially going to be public, but we decided it was, (laughs) we talked about some really important stuff that we really wanted to share with you. Um, primarily because I think some of the stuff that we talk about are things that we all kind of think maybe, or fear, (laughs) but uh, maybe don't say out loud and kind of wonder if anyone else is thinking or feeling or going through these things. And so we both felt it was really important actually to share this more widely and broadly because um, these conversations should be had more publicly and more often um, because what you see on Instagram just is not real life, right? (laughs) The highlight reel is just not what's really going on for most humans and most entrepreneurs. And then so we took the opportunity to basically tell you everything that went wrong last year. Um, It's not as a negative podcast as it sounds, but it was a real opportunity for us to get raw and personal and uncensored and share things about, you know, our fears and our mistakes and, you know, topics like relationships and body image and money. Um, you know, the real gritty stuff. (laughs) So our guest this week is none other than the incredible money mindset mentor, Denise Duffield Thomas. And I'm thrilled to have her back on the podcast because the first time she came, we were talking about magic and momentum and manifesting. And this opportunity, I think today is a chance to just get to know her a little bit better as a person. Um, And as a business owner, she shares some of her plans for 2020. And we talk about some stuff that I think should be a real priority for all of us as we look at the new year and try and make decisions from a place of chill, a place of ease, a place of self-acceptance rather than getting swept up in what everybody else wants or needs from us. And 
As you probably already know, this season of the podcast is all about chill. And Denise, having just written the book Chillpreneur, is the OG chillpreneur. She talks sometimes about being lazy and that she just likes to make decisions that are easy. But it's more than that. It's deeper than that. She's not lazy. She's incredibly strategic and she really values her downtime. And as an introvert, obviously, really needs lots of time to refuel and recharge. And so she's built this incredible business from that place. And what I love about that as someone who is a Y finder and helps entrepreneurs make more money by you know, understanding themselves better and being able to leverage their own unique magic is that she's such a great example of, of how to do that, of how to understand who you are, what you've got to offer, and then build something amazing your own way off the back of that. And so today I think is going to be a great sort of introduction to our season of chill as Denise and I share some, you know, just really real stuff about what it's like to be in business, what it's like to be an entrepreneur and a mom, um, and trying to also maintain life at the same time as growing a business. And I hope that you really enjoy what she shares and what we chat about. And I'd love to hear from you either you know, take a screenshot if you're listening on your phone, share it in Instagram stories, tag us both, um, or head over to our free group at Magic Makers HQ. So if you look us up on Facebook, it's facebook.com slash groups slash Magic Makers HQ. And say hi, tell us what you get out of this episode, if you found anything interesting or surprising, um, and we can continue the conversation over there. But for now, let's make some magic, shall we? I'm so excited to have you back, Denise, for a down and dirty raw chat. Um, exactly. Obviously, we're here because the conference venue where we had our amazing Magic Maker Live, where you were an amazing keynote and inspired us all. Um, the venue totally fucked up and has ruined our audio. So you were generous enough to come back and have another chat with me that we can share with the conference attendees who we've promised this beautiful podcast to. And so thank you for being generous with your time. <laughs> of course. Well, you know, things like that do happen, you know, and um, when you guys contact me and said, oh, can you uh, do a video and recreate your speech? I'm like, no, you can't, you can't recreate a speech. And then I was like, let's get on the call. And then I'm like, I'm not going to recreate the speech because let's get real and raw and dirty because things don't always work out perfectly. Yeah. And that's, it's so, it's such a valuable conversation to have, isn't it? Cause we can have these sort of polished presentations anytime, although yours was brilliant and I would love to have it recorded for posterity. But, um, <laughs> I, I think, you know, um, I'll share in a bit kind of the conference thing and, and how we've recovered from that and stuff. But I think it does invite this conversation about how, you know, there's so much fear, among entrepreneurs. I just was recording a podcast that about, about that today and how we spend so much time avoiding the horrible shit that can happen. And so we don't try, right? So we don't take risks. We don't do things because what if it all goes wrong? And then when it does go wrong, we're like, see, I told you. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then it's so easy to create a story about that, right? Yeah, it really is. And 
like nothing is ever going to really go smoothly. I don't know anyone who runs conferences, for example, just a very small example, where they go smoothly 100% of the time, but yet they create such amazing experiences for people that you can't replicate anywhere else. And all the people in that room, like, you know, maybe it just was meant to be of the moment, you know. And I, I think this is so timely because um, – I read a Beyonce article yesterday and she was answering questions that people had emailed in or Instagram, you know, like sent her an Instagram about. And one of them was, when is the concert DVD coming out for whatever tour it was? And she said, why? She goes, it's in, it's in my head and I've experienced it. And she said that Prince told her that because they were recording a song together and doing stuff. And she was like, we should be recording this. And you know, like the back, the behind the scenes stuff. And he was like, but it will always live on in our memories. No one can take that away from us. And then, so she said that to these people, she's like, well, I've got that memory. No one can ever take it away. And if you were there and you watched it live, you know, when we live streamed it, no one can ever take that away from you. And I just thought, oh my God, that's beautiful. (laughs) It is beautiful. And I think it's funny, right before you said that, I was like, huh, I wonder if it was just meant to be that way, that it was so magic that it just couldn't be recorded and it had to just be for the people who are in the room, which is a nice thought. And I'll choose to think of it that way. (laughs) Well, let's look at this magic maker live. (laughs) Yeah. Get what you asked for, right? (laughs) Magic maker recorded. No, magic maker live, which just means that if you run it again, people don't, can't have the excuse of, Oh, I'll wait for the recording or I'll wait for next year. It's like, no, there's magic in that room that can only be experienced live. And it was magical. It was fab. It was, it was lovely. lovely. Okay, so the burning question I have for you, if we're going to get down and dirty, is what got totally fucked up for you this year? <laughs> like what? Tell us something that went totally wrong that you don't really want to talk about. <laughs> um. You know, it wasn't just like, it wasn't a one specific thing. It was a, it was a theme for me. Um, the year before I was super burnt out, had lots of arguments with Mark um, about that because he, he's a real workaholic and, um, and, and it's really hard for him to switch off. But also what I've realized is that he has no discernment around his work. Like he'll work hard at everything. Um, and like, even to the point where I remember we used to make Christmas dinner and he would, nothing would come out all at the same time. You know how that's a real art? of like, you know, thinking how long things take and then it all finishes at the same time. And I'd be like, why did you make the green beans first? And they've been sitting here for three hours. He was like, because it was on my list. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so this is what he was like in business. It took me a long time to figure it out. Um, that he was like that in business too, where he had no discernment around tasks and every task had equal weight and importance. Oh my God, my kids are like fighting. Um, And so we had the last three and a half years or so working together and, you know, we've had some real shitty times with it. And so at the start of this year, I said, we're going to make things really, really simple. We're going to have a semester one and a semester two, and we're going to do two live versions of each of my programs in each semester. And it was still, it was a total fuck up still because. Really? Yes, because I was, I didn't, take into consideration I had a new book out so I had to launch a new book um and also I had to, you always forget when you hand in a book that's not the end of the head like you don't go here's the book 
now don't talk to me until it's out. <laughs> and so I didn't realize that still this year, even though the book came out in like Feb, up until like the end, I was still approving things and doing work and providing things to the, you know, to the publisher and all this stuff. And then I had a book tour and I was traveling around doing this book tour and I didn't realize again, how much work that takes doing live events. And I did 14, um, oh my God. 14 events for my book tour. And then Marie Folio asked me to be a mentor on B-School. And I was like, of course, I would love to be a mentor on B-School. Damn it. And <laughs> Yeah. Um, and not realizing that, yeah, two live programs of each of my courses. So that's four live programs for this year. Each one is, I'm like, oh, it's only six calls. But it's not because we also do Australian calls and there's pre-launch calls and there's, you know, marketing calls and all of those things. So each one is like, you know, like there's like 30 live calls in the year. And then also I forget that we have to also deliver stuff because we do affiliate programs with Jeff Walker and Marie Folio and we do webinars as part of, you know, the affiliate bonus for that. So I just kept on piling things in thinking, oh, I'm being so streamlined. And I have simple. so much space. Yes, forgetting. And then, you know, coming to the UK and having three kids and building a house and having a rose farm that we bought. You know, I just, I kept on squirreling away things saying, well, that doesn't count. That's super easy. I've done that before. That's okay. I can handle that. I can do that in those pockets. And um, there was too much stuff, like really too much stuff. And the worst moment came, and I don't think I've really told this anywhere, but um, I was feeling so overwhelmed and we were coming up to another launch. And I wrote down, because I thought I have to write this down to tell Mark, because otherwise we're going to get in the same situation. And I said to him, I'm not going to be involved in this launch. I am not going to do any Facebook lives. I'm not going to do any videos for you. I'm not going to do any you know, we've done this launch three or four times. I'm not going to look at any copy for you. I'm not going to write any new copy because that's what happens. It all just come. And I wrote it all down and Mark came home. Um, he was with his men's group. He came home and it was about nine o'clock at night. And I said, I need you to read this because I'm at breaking point and I just feel so burnt out. And I just feel like, like my mental health is not good with all this work and I need you to read this. And so he read it and it was like, it was like 20 things. I'm not going to do this. 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 But I really needed to, him to hear what was behind those words, which is like, I'm like so burnt and out and crispy and like everything. And he read it and he goes, I've got one question. And I was like, what is it? And he goes, will you do a sales webinar? <laughs> and it was like, he found the one thing that I'd forgotten to put on that list. Oh. And, um, and I honestly, I stood up and I was like, okay. And I went in, I slept in the spare room and the next day, like this was um, maybe about I don't know, six, seven months ago. And the next day I sent a message and said, I can't be married to anyone. I can't be married to someone who has such little regard for my mental health and physical health. And like, I thought this was a really clear cry for help and you didn't hear it. Um, and so I will only have a conversation with you in one of two places this week in a divorce like lawyer's office or in a therapist's office you choose but I'm like this is I can't be married to you like this That's is it so this is it stuff. you have yeah you have such little regard and you just want the problem was I was like you are trying to get as much juice out of me this is how I felt and I was like you are like you're like my pimp <laughs> yeah, right and totally. and it's like you're trying to use me up you're trying to use me up 
And then I, and I said some really mean things and I basically said, and you would actually be happy if I died because I'm very well insured. So you would also get money from my death. I know. And it it sounds really dramatic now, but it just, it just really showed. And also, you know, my responsibility for that is saying yes to everything. Mm. But like Mark is a massive enabler because he doesn't have to stand on stage and do the, Mm. do the talk. If he is, as far as he's concerned, that's an hour of work. That's not hard. Not realizing how much each of those things take out of me as the face of the business and as someone who it's my life force energy. I'm not just like, you know. Well, and I think it's really important too, because you're an introvert, right? So not only does that draw energy from you, but you know, I think the work that you do is similar to the work that I do, where it's this idea of holding space you're holding so much space for so many people and so many feelings and so much work and so much forgiveness. Like there's just so much energy that goes into it. And you obviously care so much about the people that you work with and the difference that you're trying to make in the world. So like, it's not just the work either. It is like all the energy that goes in to the work before, during, after, like so much. That's invisible. That's invisible work. And as you said about the holding space, like I worry about my community. You, I'm sure you do. We think mm. about you guys in the shower and we totally. think about you at <laughs> night. And we sometimes have dreams about you where we're doing that work in our sleep. And this is for anyone listening who has a community, has a space, has a business. Like, you know, that's that's energetic work for sure. You know, on my book tour, I met and hugged 800 people. You know, that's that's energy. That's not, that's not just an hour of like being somewhere. Um, Yeah, absolutely. So that was really hard for me. The other thing that was hard for me, I think too, is that I, um, like I actually did a lot of speaking this year, not just for my events, but, but for other people's events, you know, like your event as well. And one thing I was really struggling with was charging for that, Mm. um, which sounds really funny, right? Because I think with money mindset, you think, you know, just because you fix it in one area doesn't mean it's fixed in every single area. Mm. And I'd never done really a lot of speaking in the last five years because I've been having babies. And so um, suddenly, you know, I had a bit more space and energy and I had, the, and the more speaking you do, the more speaking you do because people go, oh, she speaks. Oh, okay, yeah. well, I'll invite totally. her. You know, and, and even having this conversation and thinking, you know, like, oh, the AV company get, got paid and they did a shitty job, yeah. you know, and really working through that, especially when it is, around women and wanting to support women and wanting to go to, you know, people's events and support them. And it really, um, it really brought up a lot of stuff for me this year. Um, yeah, that was really interesting too. Uh, yeah, it was a very big year. <laughs> well, really a lot of learnings. You bring up the speaking thing because I will never, like, I've, I think I told you this story before, but when I've, I've had this idea for the conference for over a decade and I was like, wanted to do it because I had a business partner who came in who's an event planner and I was like, okay, but I'm going to make my list of 10 people. If no one is going to be a keynote, then I'm not going to do it which felt like this beautiful free pass to not have to because I wanted to, but I was obviously scared shitless. Which also is ridiculous because your community would come to see you live, right? Like they want to come to see oh, you. And it's like, that's a like, whole other story no. about the conference <laughs> that I didn't actually get until I went to a Reiki practitioner like a month before the conference. And we can get to that. That's like a whole nother thing. Yes, exactly. <laughs> um, you are enough. <laughs> right? Um, 
but so you were the first person on the list and the first person I contacted and I was obviously like Instagram stalking you and you're talking about being in the UK and I just like kept emailing like Facebook or whatever it was Instagram direct messaging or something and finally got through to Mark I think and then anyway but I was surprised when you got when you came back with your fee I was like is that all yes <laughs> like sign us up and so I think I saw a post that you did about um charging for speaking and I was like yep that I can see that because what you charged, I thought, was very little for the value yeah. that you provide and who you are. And um, so actually, one of the first things I thought is like, oh, well, she's still working on her money mindset stuff, obviously, because she uh, can charge a lot more. Absolutely. It was such a breakthrough for me this year. Like, um, And you know why? Because I think in the last couple of years, the only people I've really spoken at um, are my friends. Mm. You know, and like even this year, one of my you just show up. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely, because we want to support each other. But you know what's even funny about that is that some of my friends, like I spoke at their first year of their conference, and then now, like you know, three four years later, like they're they're these massive conferences that you know, like have sponsors up the wazoo, like them. But still, I was thinking, oh no, they're my friend. I still have to go. And this year, I said to my friend, I was like, um, well yeah, here's my fee for this. Like, I'm happy to give you a discount on my fee, but like, like everyone else is getting paid to be here, you know, and it's still something that I know, even though I've had a breakthrough around it um, this year, it's still something I'm going to be working on for the future Um, because I felt fine charging for my course and I felt fine charging for this, but for speaking for, for women's conferences, I was like, oh, fuck, no, I can't do that. (laughs) <laughs> I, can't, I can't judge for that um which is really interesting right because I mean I, I came over with um with Hay House and the way that they did their their thing is that they pay a little bit for your travel and then they do a profit share and so I was like oh I got paid like almost 30 grand to speak at their events I'm like oh should that be my new fee you know it's like why not oh interesting <laughs> um exactly but you know it's but I, and I know what it is. And this is the great breakthrough that I only just got in the last couple of weeks is because I thought if I don't charge well for it, then I can hold it really lightly Mm. and I can just turn up and I can be unattached to the outcome, which actually then makes me a good speaker, right? Because Mm -hmm. I am unattached to the outcome. But then I was like, Oh, but then if people pay me, then it's like, it's a thing. <laughs> it's oh, a thing. Yes. It's an outcome that they're paying for. Whereas if I'm not charging them very much, who cares? Like you get what you get. So I just, <laughs> I just found that so fascinating. Um, that that was the thing. And so now the way I've reframed it is, I'm like, they're not paying for the speech. They're paying to, for me to leave my house. I think I saw that post recently too. You're like, they're paying me to like put on a bra and get out of my house. Like that's what I charge for. Speaking is free. The speech is free. Yeah. (laughs) The speech is free. And that's, that actually makes me feel really so much better about it. And also I've been, since I've like had those breakthroughs and of course I hear little nuggets. I hear, you know, like Liz Gilbert mentioning about that stuff. And then um, Brene Brown mentions that a few times in her book and, you know, all these little nuggets. But I think that's, you know, for anyone listening, if there is an area of money mindset you want to work on this this year, like really listen to all of those little things and it's there's not one shot cure all for all your money blocks. You're going to find, like with Mark, trying to find my, you know, my little chink in the armor, your money blocks will find your little chinks in the armor 
um, yeah, whether yeah. it's around one particular part of your work or a particular target market of your work, all of those things. I think that concept of if I don't get paid properly for it, the pressure is less intense is such a common theme, isn't it? And I think <laughs> it's so funny, I think, to hear you, the expert, say that, right? Because A, we all go through the stuff we're experts in continually all the time. And B, um, we still, as you say, the money blocks still find the chink, but they, you also still find ways to kind of justify the money block, right? There's still, there's still ways to like, well, that's an okay mindset to have. That's not a story I'm telling myself. That's not a limiting belief because X. And, um, and even with all the exercise that we've done on being able to like, like, find the stories, change the stories, as you say, reframe how we're going to approach it. It's like, it still happens. And it's still like, yeah, you're kind of running from it all the time. And I think that is the both wonderful and terrible thing about all this work. It's the same with, you know, a lot of the marketing stuff that I do, which is that there's bits of it that are just always going to suck. Like there's bits of it that are Mm -hmm. always going to feel like work, but there's all these other things you can do to improve them, make them easier, delegate them, have someone else do them. Like just take it off your list. Like just don't make yourself do it. Make someone else do it because someone else is happy to get paid to do that shitty task. Oh yeah, absolutely. Case in point, like it's morning time here in Australia at the moment and I've got a housekeeper. She makes breakfast, you know, she makes my bed, she does the laundry and I've never enjoyed doing that. Like even when I wasn't, you know, when I didn't have money, I hated doing that because it really took, I think as an introvert too, you have such a limited life force sometimes that, Mm. you know, it's like, do I want to use that on these tasks that don't make me money or, and, um, you know, it's Christmas. We've given her a Christmas stuff and she's like, I love working for you guys. And it makes me feel good to think, well, cool. My laziness, but also my, you know, abundance. I do hire a lot of people who do things that are not in my zone of genius because I, I've got a very narrow zone of genius. <laughs> I know this. I'm not good at a lot of things. <laughs> well, I heard the other day, I can't remember where it was, that, you know, one of the things like making your bed is one of those like micro habits that's supposed to like help you be great in all these different areas. But the quote that I heard the other day was, um, the way you do one thing is the way you do everything. So when you were talking about that, I was just smiling uh-huh. because <laughs> it's like... <laughs> Denise does bed the same way she does business. Like she delegates and does it the lazy way. She doesn't do what she doesn't want to do. And I think, you know, the cultural story about that, especially for women, is being lazy or being, you know, whatever the negative terms are. Eva as well. Eva, yeah, like greedy, like whatever it is when you have help and you're supposed to be a woman doing it all yourself. Um, But I love the story that you're out there perpetuating, which is that like, why shouldn't we delegate the shit tasks that we don't want to do that we can pay a lot less per hour than what we make and they don't bring us any joy. Absolutely. And still pay well, you know, like I don't underpay any of my staff because, um, you know, I, I don't outsource to places that, you know, $2 an hour kind of thing. Like I pay my stuff really well, but, um, there's something there that you just said about, um, like the micro habits, right? Because, I really bought into this for a long time at the start of my journey of like, you know, seven success habits of people yeah, and they yeah. get up at this time and, they, yeah. you know, they have a clean desk and I, I have to do all these this. things to be like them. 
exactly. And I, I remember really early on in my journey, like I'm, I'm a bit of a messy person given the chance, right? And so my desk was really messy and this was like my first year of business. I remember Mark saying, is that the desk of a millionaire? And mm. me going, oh, yeah, you're right. And then this week, like I was looking at my car and going, wow, is this, is this a car of a millionaire? Actually, it is, even though like I've got a, a, like a mum car, right? I've got a minivan. And in it, like if I took a picture of all the stuff that's in the back of this minivan, like there's McDonald's fries. The sand. There was like a kite. There was like a princess thing, like a princess wand. There's like five pairs of shoes. There's dummies under there. There's probably old bottles. Like there is so much shit in this car. It looks like we live live in it, right? And I was like, oh, but this literally is the car of a millionaire. So why are we thinking that it has to be? We have to be perfect before we're allowed to have money, for starters, and that when we say things like that and feel that way, we really create a separation between who we really are and who we think we could be. And what if that, that is the exact same person? What if you will have a mess, messy car, a messy desk as a millionaire? Because you will, if that's, that's how, how you are. Oh, <laughs> like every single trait that you have now is enough for you to, you know, to go forward and, and be more successful or more wealthy without changing any of your habits. You know, you can be a night owl, you can be an early bird, you can be messy, you can be lazy, you can be all oh of those God. things. You don't have to do yoga or meditate. That's not a thing you have to do to make money. <laughs> Seriously, I really bought into that as well. I'm so glad you said that one, Nick. Because I, I think I thought that way about the law of attraction. I thought that the law of attraction might work for me because I'm not spiritual enough and I don't meditate and I I'm not like a kind person like that. You know, I was like, I'm a bitch. I'm not allowed to be rich and be a bitch. That's not cool. Um, you know, and like I've got a friend who loves watching reality TV, you know, and people shame her for it all the time and be like, oh, you shouldn't watch reality TV. You know, you really should be thinking good thoughts and watching really positive stuff. And it's like, no, that's not, that's not true. You know, like the way you become a millionaire is you create something of service to people and you sell it you know, a million times or a hundred thousand times or whatever it is, it is pure math, but we bring in all this stuff around deservingness and worth and all these silly rules that we have. I had a, I had a thing that I wasn't tall enough to be successful. Like, <laughs> you know, people listening that. have got all of the stories about their, you know, their skin color, their eye color, their hair, oh, yeah. their, their youth or, yeah, or, you know, their age, their marital status their bodies like oh my god I had a big oh. one about like oh well, I have to be skinny before I mean, I, I mean if you line up all the richest pe- men in the world they're not a good looking bunch <laughs> <laughs> that's a good point. yeah that's that's a good sort of like raw topic to dive into I think because like I had a ton of respect I can't remember when it happened and actually she just talked about it at tribe live so I should remember it might have been 26 18. But Amy Porterfield did this great podcast episode about wanting to lose weight and body image and feeling a lot of shame. And it was just like so raw. And I had so much respect for her for it. It really, I was kind of like in and out of the podcast before that, but I was like, no, good for you. Like, this is like the first really real thing I've really heard from you. And now I'm in, like I'm in. Um, And that really... Um, got me started on a journey of thinking about that and how to kind of share that, encourage that. And then it triggered for me this thing of like, oh, this like vulnerability thing. A, it's not just a obviously throw your shit out for everyone to see. Like that's not how this works. But 
later in the year, in August, actually, I, last August, I did a, a similar podcast of like, we're talking about all this stuff, but I was talking about self-compassion and I was talking about um, self-love and how I had been on this journey to try and figure out, you know, it was a story I told at the conference about discovering, sort of getting this calling of like that my purpose is to hold this space and to be this vessel of love, to just hold space and let people walk through it and to help be a mirror for them. And I was like, okay, well, but if I'm out there teaching people about freedom and fulfillment and that that's what they're going to get by building this brand thing and that's what they're going to do with their money and their time, I should probably understand what freedom and fulfillment means for human beings. Like, how do we define it scientifically? What makes us happy? Like, I should know this stuff if this is what I'm peddling, right? So I started this whole research journey about human happiness. And of course, everything, everything, this is when I discovered Brene Brown, I was very late to the party, um, led me back to self-love, self-compassion and enoughness, obviously. And then I was like, no, that's not what I wanted to hear. That's not, no, I don't know. No, no, no. So I like pushed it away and tried to do all these other things. And then after hearing Amy's podcast, I was like, all right, let's look at this. What does this look like? What does this mean? And so I did a really raw podcast about self-loathing which is, you know, opposite of self-love and really shared a lot of the things that had paved my journey in terms of my own body image stuff and all the reasons that I thought I couldn't have the life that I wanted or the partner that I wanted or the business that I want, you know, any of the things and how my life had fundamentally that when I realized that that's what was going on and I worked to align with the life that I wanted, it literally fell in my lap. Like I broke off an engagement I moved to California. Six months later, I met my husband and he was literally, talk about manifesting. I had written a list of like 200 things that my mm-hmm. next partner had to be. That's the clue. Yep. Yes. The thing. It's the thing that does it. Wrote it down. And what's even cooler, I'm not sure if I've told this story before. I was writing a screenplay with someone at the time. And what I didn't realize until months later is that I had written this scene about this American girl and this British guy meeting at a wedding in the mountains. And having all these conversations, I met my husband at a wedding in the mountains and we had almost identical yeah. conversations. So it was like, okay, so now I'm really careful about what I write down. <laughs> yes, because it's magic. It is like <laughs> the magic pen, you know? It is. It's crazy. And I think I, for a long time, had that same vision of, well, A, if you have body image stuff and you're massively insecure about the way you look, then the last thing you want to do is go on video right? Like I do not like, I feel super yeah, insecure or on right stage now. Or I just don't care anymore. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Like mm-hmm. it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Go on stage, be seen. Get photos. Yeah. Anything. Oh, yeah. Photos. Definitely. Although photos are a little safer, right? Cause you can squish and like edit, <laughs> <laughs> but like video and stage is very unforgiving. Um, and I think, you know, I saw I think I saw a couple of people out in the world who looked like me and they were like rocking it. And I was like, Oh, they're doing it. Like maybe it is okay to be fat and be on video. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, Oh yeah. wow. And it was like this amazing permission. So I think, you know, having those conversations about this stuff and being like, Hey, yeah, all of us, all of us have that. It's not just, some perfect world and you don't have to be perfect. And, you know, I think reading the beginning of Marie Forleo's book, she makes this big argument for like, okay, you might think that 
I'm me and so I have everything, but here's my arguments. It's like, it's clear that she's obviously dealt with a lot of people who are like, yeah, but you're fabulous and, and fit and beautiful and wealthy and have an audience and all those things. It's like, okay, yeah, but that doesn't have anything to do with it, really. I mean, yeah. people who are like, oh, oh I've... I'm so glad you brought up Marie because do you remember the bit in the book and she talk, she it's almost like a throwaway comment, but she talks about how she got um, her conference videoed mm. and then, and they, they lost all the footage from it. And it was the last rich, happy and hot that she did, which I was at in 2012 in New York. And you know, it, it was such a well-produced, amazing, like crazy, gorgeous event. And they lost all the footage because they, they had their equipment stolen and like, I wanted to hear more stuff about that, right? I wanted to hear like, well, tell us all these fuck ups because I know, you know, you don't have a program with 50,000 people go through it without some major screw ups. <laughs> and I remember one a couple of years ago where she was going to start charging a monthly fee um, and people absolutely revolted. And I was like, I want to hear that too, because, yeah. you know, we just, we love hearing about these things, not because we, because of, you know, schadenfreude but it's because we, we want to hear stories about resilience and people going, you know what? It happened and I didn't die. Mm. You know, like I went on stage and I wasn't my perfect weight and people loved it. You know, I, I did this and it, I, I didn't die. Like, <laughs> I think that's so I think powerful. that's such an important point. And especially I think when the perfect people, right? It's that leftover bullshit from high school and the popular kids and the weirdos and like, it's this perception of infallibility and perfection with people who either look the way that we want to look or have the family structure that we want to have or whatever our thing is, right? Like when I got out of high school, I um, moved in with my best friend who is a gay guy who was also Jehovah's Witness, which was a disaster. (laughs) (laughs) But so there was this like constant parade of these like very attractive, very gay men through our apartment all the time. And one night I was sat there drinking with one of these guys who was, not a guy who sort of you would have known was gay if you met him he was he was really like athletic he was like a jock like high school jock and he was like drunk and emotional and he was telling me this story about and he was really emotional and he was like we all have our one thing and I was like well what do you mean he was like well we all have one thing that we're like battling that we have to like fight with and deal with our entire life And of course, in my mind, immediately, I was like, well, for me, that's my weight. Definitely, for sure. It's always been the one thing. It is colored and defined everything that I've always done. Um, So I'm like, you know, tripping out on this. And he was like, yeah, my one thing is being gay. And I was like, really? Like, you're tall, you're attractive. Like, you are like the perfect gay man. (laughs) Yeah, you're like, I can accept you. What's the problem? (laughs) Yeah. So, but it was that idea of our one thing has always stuck with Mm. me. And from that moment forward, I realized that just, you know, I had always had this perception of like, I look around and of like, if you're thin, you're perfect, right? Because my obsession is on my own one thing. Whereas other people have like, if you have a perfect nose, you're perfect. If you have lighter skin, you're perfect. If you have whatever blemish-free skin or a different accent or whatever our one thing is, that's how we filter everything around us. And if people have that one thing, then they seem better than us and perfect. And it gets us into this constant hierarchy system of like, oh, well, I'm this more than that person. So I'm higher in the hierarchy. So I'm good. And it's just so weird. Like, yeah. and, and it's all going on in your head though as well. You know, like I, I think 
now that you know you've had a baby and stuff too you realize all the stuff that is happening in your body Mm. and you know like and there'll be people who come out of that who look the same as they always did but have got horrific birth injuries that they're dealing Mm. with you know like and I think Mm. like I don't think I had a normal poop for like a year after (laughs) each of my babies and it's like oh cool like you know, you know what's keeping me humble, guys? Like fucking hemorrhoids and anal fissures. <laughs> like, this is not fun. Yeah, exactly. But like, you know, and that's like, you know, what's everyone's got something that they're that they're doing. But everyone also has an internal thing of I can't make money and this thing that I have. Mm. Um, you know, and for some people it is a physical thing. For some people it is like an ideology thing. Like, especially now, there are a lot of people who think well, you can't be ethical and be rich, you know, like yeah. let's eat the rich. And it's like, yeah, there's some really fucking horrible rich people in the world. There's an imbalance of unhealthy rich people in the world. So we have to tip the balance um, and use use our money for good and and use our platforms to spread yeah. positivity and, and self-love and self-acceptance because maybe like 10, 15 years ago, like people didn't have anyone to see you know, just to see a reflection of them that online. Like them. Yeah, absolutely. And now they're, you know, they're, everyone can have a platform. And the only thing that's stopping us most of the time is our own perceived views on that of what where we are and are allowed to do. And it's, it's amazing, you know, and I even think too, like a few things really helped me with that. Even I know it's very problematic, but the um, Lena Dunham's show girls, when that first came out, mm. I was like, Oh my God you know, she's so unapologetic about her body. And that shift some, shifted some things for me because I saw, I saw someone on TV with cellulite, you know, I was like, what oh a concept. God, okay. <laughs> yes. Yes, absolutely. Um, and so the more that we show ourselves how we are, it could be someone who's just taking a piece of that. We don't even know. And they're like, Oh, well, she's showing up like, you know, she's, and I get that sometimes we like being a mom, you know, people are like, Oh, well, you've got kids and you're doing a business. And I'm like, yes. And also I have a ton of help. So let me show you, <laughs> let me tell you all about that too, because I don't want that to be a mystery of someone thinking that I'm, I am doing it all because no, I, I'm not. Um, yeah. Which do we just have to show up? Yeah. And I think, you know, again, sort of back to Marie, that sort of, the idea that, you know, you have this unique gift that the world really needs. And it's now it feels so cliche to me, but it just keeps getting revealed to me over and over and over and over and over again. When I do, when I show up and people give me feedback, when my people show up and their people give them feedback that it's like, you know, it's that I just needed to hear that today or this thing you just said has changed everything for me. And like, you just never know what that thing is going to be. And it's shocking often what it is. Like, really? That's the thing that unplugs all of that mess so you can just go do the thing? That is it? Yeah. <laughs> How cool is that? Which is why, too, I'm really um, – I'm totally fine about haters and trolls. Like, it doesn't bother me because I'm not creating my stuff for them like I'm, I can only offer what I can offer. Right. So I'm not like going, Oh, strategically, what can I offer to, you know, to get those people? It's like, here's me. He's literally what is I can offer and I can't offer anything else. And so you find the people who really love that. And then the people who don't like it, like, I'm not like, fuck them. I'm just like, that's okay. I don't like stuff either. There's <laughs> the stuff that I don't like. 
it's fine that you don't like me, but I'm not creating it for you. And I'm also not going to change anything for you, you know, and you'll get people who, you know, they'll email and go, you swear too much or you send too many emails or whatever. And it's like, okay, but I'm not creating it for you. So it's really easy for you to opt out. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not even mad about it. Just, it's cool. And because I think because I'm so fucking casual about that, because I totally understand that people can hate stuff. Fine. I very rarely get haters. Like I really don't. And if I do, like, I'm sure people email us, like it never comes to me. Like, but also fan mail doesn't come to me because I can only offer what I can offer. So it's like the people who are like rabid fangirls, which you always get like 3% of people who are like yep. rabid fangirls and you get 3% of people who are like fucking weird. Yeah. Like fucking hate you so much. <laughs> yeah. like, but like neither of those stories are true. Like you are in the middle having your equilibrium, just offering what you can offer and who wants to take it will take it. And you kind of have to, because otherwise you're like, they love me, they hate me, they love me, they hate me. And it's like such a roller coaster of emotion. Mm. And you're like, oh, well, do I create more of that? Do I create less mm. of that to please those people? And I'm like, I'm going to fucking please myself because there's enough people out there who will be happy, more than happy with that. <laughs> and actually, it will be great for them. Um, and then everything else can just chill. Oh, there's so many things you said in there. But one of the things I think is so powerful is this idea of pleasing ourselves, And we just, I feel like it's such a foreign concept and we just don't know how to trust ourselves at all. We just need so much. And I, this is, has been a lot of my journey as well. We just need so much external validation of that our ideas are good, that we're professional enough, experienced enough, have enough, like, and, um, so that's a good segue back to the, my experience with the conference. So I've had this dream for this conference for ages I'm so excited to put it on. My first instinct is, okay, well, I have to get some awesome keynotes. It like doesn't even occur to me that maybe I might be- Bribe people. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I ask you, you say yes. I ask Ash, she says yes. And I'm like, well, shit, this thing is happening then. Okay, now I have to pull it together. It literally, that was all like, you know, the year before and the spring and whatever. It wasn't until, so the conference was mid-October. It was not until August, maybe September- that I was like, okay, I'm totally freaking out. I need to like do some energy work. I need, I don't want to go into this thing stressed. I want to show up. I want to be present. So I went and saw this Reiki gal and it was my first Reiki experience. And she sat there and chatted with me for ages about marketing and my sales page and stuff. I was like, no, you don't understand. Like, I need a break from that. Like, that's all I've been doing for like, since I got off maternity leave like a month ago. Like, Reiki me. Like, what are we doing? Um, <laughs> And I was getting, you know, like so annoyed because I'm like, this is not why I'm here. This is not why I'm here. This is not what I'm paying for. Like, fix me, like heal me, like energy me. Like, what are you doing? But I had to just, I kept checking myself and saying, this is happening for a reason. This is happening for a reason. This is, ha- this is not pointless. This is not, you know, stop with your not enoughness and not getting enough for your money and all these weird stories and just chill out. And what ended up coming out of the conversation is eventually she was like, where are you in this conference? This is your Mm. conference. Like, you're not anywhere. (laughs) Where are you? Like, and she was, because she asked me to tell her some stories about people that I'd helped and how I'd served them. And I was like, oh yeah, well, this why stuff. And this one lady changed her like entire life and got out of an abusive marriage. And like, and she was like, oh my God, like, 
you realize the work that you do is super important. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I know. And she was like, where are you in this conference? Where are you on the sales page? Where are you in this like agenda? And I was like, oh, yeah. <laughs> so literally, <laughs> I didn't add myself into the agenda until like September. And I was like, wow. Oh, oh. And, and for someone who does what I do, and I'm fairly emotionally intelligent, <laughs> you know, massive blind spot. And it was such another big wake up call for me of how many layers we have of this stuff where it's just like, I was building something that I thought was so special and so magical and so amazing. I had no doubt the event was going to be incredible. I just had no doubt, but I didn't see myself in it because I hadn't, I just didn't see myself as aligned with that (laughs) consciously. When I figured it out, I was like, I do see myself there. Like, I don't not, but like, I obviously haven't put myself there. And that's when I started putting myself in like the images with you and Ash because I was like, well, what the fuck? Like, <laughs> this is my this is my conference. Um, and that wasn't until like September. And I think that stuff can be so sneaky. Like, mm. it was fundamentally my party, and I was just like, I'll just stand back here and I'll just okay, you you guys do the thing. <laughs> yeah, crazy. that is crazy. But I think people people listening will really resonate with mm. that because we've all done it. <laughs> yeah. And I think the other thing that you said is this, you know, one of the things I've discovered is one of my superpowers. And I think it came from the fact that when I became an entrepreneur, I immediately was in a lawsuit. So I had to like, in, literally, instead of like popping champagne for a grand opening, we were filing a lawsuit against a, a trademark licensing deal that we had done where we were buying product from them for a retail store and the product never arrived. So we were out like $50,000. I was like 20. Uh-huh. I was signed on the line for half that debt. We had no product. And we're like, well, there's nothing else we can do but like sue them to get this money back. I don't know. Like that lasted five years. Ultimately we won, but they filed bankruptcy. And then I spent the next, well, I only paid it off like a few years ago. So like the next like 12 years paying off the debt of that initial plus all the legal fees of five years of fighting. And what I realized is that it has given me this incredible resilience. So you mentioned mm-hmm. that earlier with the stories, um, Marie, and that is something I almost don't even think about now because I can so quickly reframe things so quickly that it's just like, whatever. Like even the, it's funny, I had an inkling about the podcast, the conference podcast, the day before I found out, I was like, they're taking a really long time to get back to us. What if it's gone? What if it doesn't exist? And I like aligned with that. I was like, okay, well, if that is the thing, we have no control over it. We'll come up with a plan, maybe talk to the speakers and see if they want to do something and whatever, we'll figure it out. There's nothing else I can, you know, like we can do what we can do. And then when I found out the next day, I'm like, shit, I didn't just manifest that, did I? I was like, I hope I didn't like create that. Um, But yeah, I think resilience is something we don't talk about enough. It's certainly not something that we're getting taught in schools, which we should. But what are your thoughts? What's your experience been with with resilience and being able to kind of cultivate it and use it? You know, like I think what we're doing here is really important because um, we're telling other people about it. And I think sometimes we internalize those mistakes and think, I'm never gonna mm. I'm never gonna share this with anyone. No one will yeah. ever know that it fucked up behind the scenes. We'll fix it. 
Um, and so there's a lesson there in sharing that too, because then mm. I think we give each other a bit more resilience, um, like inoculation okay. in, yeah. in a way, like, you know, like this big thing happened. And again, I didn't die. Like nobody died. Um, we fixed it. Like even things were, like with legal stuff, right. Mm. You know, there's this big case at the moment where um, a politician, um, like sued another politician and she won and she was like, this is a victory for a lot of women because so many women don't even go into the legal space because they're so scared. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and hearing that gave me a little bit of courage, shot of mm-hmm. courage that I thought, well, you know, if I'm in that situation, I'm going to remember that and I'm going to pull on that strength. And because um, we, we always think we're alone in our fuck ups. We think that we're the only ones who've done that. We think that we can't share it because then people will think we're not professional or we're not. Well, we give it so many, whatever, so much other meaning, don't we? We add all these other stories on top of it of like, well, of course this happened because I'm the type of person who, and we're afraid that other people will see that. I think that, oh, of course this fuck up happened because I'm a person who does X. So of course it happened to me. And if I tell people about the mistake, they'll know that I'm this type of person. It's like, Absolutely. And then it perpetuates that thing of perfection. I can't be wealthy. I can't step into my successful life until I am perfect because everyone else seems to have it, have it going on instead of going, no, you're going to make mistakes. You're going to keep on making mistakes forever. Um, and some will be, some will feel really painful, but you can get through it and you can, you can be resilient. Um, you know, I, something happened at the start of the year, which I think really shifted things for me. I went to see Nigella Lawson. Mm-hmm. In, um, she she was touring, and um and I think this is why this some of these things this year were so painful because I was like oh that's what I want, um and it it was like a massive big theater and she came out and she literally just sat on a couch, and um for half of it she just answered questions from the moderator, and for the other half she answered questions from the audience and I was like, could it really be that easy? Like, and that's where I started thinking like, oh my God, maybe for talking, like maybe when I do my, my tour, I just turn up and talk that's and it. like they yeah. get what they get. And it really shifted things for me because I just thought, wow, she was so utterly at home in her body. You know, she's, she talked about her mistakes and it was, it was really beautiful. And again, this is why it's so powerful to share it because she shifted that in me. And then now we can share that with other people um, and you know, it just get, it just grows and, and grows. You were able to then design a book tour that you could actually do, <laughs> show up for, which meant all yeah. the eight hundred people got to actually see you and interact with you. Whereas if you probably built oh, it up to be this amazing. massive thing that was too big and too hard, like you probably would have done half as many dates or something because you just wouldn't have been able oh, to. Oh god, yeah. You know what I did from that because I went, oh wow, she just sat on the couch and she just talked. So I, I organized my book tour in one day and you know how hard this is to do events, right? Like, so I did 14 cities in one day. And the way I did that is I did them all in cinemas. Um, and so, so I, I, yeah, I, I contacted the marketing manager who, who I know um, of a cinema chain and I was like, here are all the dates I want. Um, and, you know, cinemas are like pretty much empty during the day. They can move movies around. It was super easy. Um, it was like a thousand dollars per cinema, which is pretty easy for like the AVs inbuilt, like it's all there. And I organized it and I just, I got there, like I got my hair and makeup done in the morning, but I got there like half an hour before they gave me my microphone. I had a chair to sit down and I was like, Hey guys, (laughs) how are you? Let's talk about my book. Um, and that was from seeing Nigella do it. 
you know, and so easily and effortlessly. And then it's so cool because they, those 800 people, maybe they'll go away and go, oh, I'm really beating myself up over this one thing. Maybe I could make it a bit easier. And this is why we have to show up. If you and I were waiting until we're at the perfect weight, until we're at the perfect, you know, I don't know. All the things. Waking up and meditating. <laughs> like when people say morning routine, like, oh my God, we feel waiting until we have the perfect morning routine. Um, then all the people that we've helped and all the people listening, all the people who are waiting for you to stand up and do that, you know, like we can, there's such a ripple effect when you just go, oh my God. And I felt it in the last couple of weeks where I felt like, oh, maybe I'm enough. Like it, just little flashes of, you know, when you've got that mm. low level anxiety in your belly of like, I mm. should be doing more. I should yes. be working on this. I should be working on this. And I've had a few moments of it being totally absent recently. Mm. And I was like, maybe I am enough. Oh my word. I've said that a few times where I've noticed myself getting really stressed about something and having to talk myself down. And one of the ones that, that, one of the triggers for me that always happens is when I'm leaving the house, I'm late, I can't find something and I feel like I am dressed like a trollop. Like I just hate whatever I'm wearing. I feel really insecure about the way I look, especially when I'm going to be with someone who I think is really put together. And I'm like, compared to that person, I am going to look like a hot mess. (laughs) So all the things, right. And there's been a couple of times when I've been like stress, 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 feel all that gut anxiety you're talking about where you're just like, there's that low level stuff. And then there's the high level stuff. And there has been a few moments where you're like, well, this is a lot. What I'm feeling right now is just too much. What if I could just show up and it didn't matter what I looked like. (laughs) Like, Mm. and sometimes those thoughts, seems so stupid when like I say them out loud it sounds really dumb but like that only recently has it occurred to me that actually the way things and people look isn't that important like Mm. and that is still a concept that is sinking in for me because I'm like how is that true and also as a photographer and a graphic designer I'm like aesthetics are everything like it just rules my entire existence the way things look and how proportionate they are and like color and form and like I'm a designer that's it just is and it's like oh some people don't obsess over those things interesting no yeah they yeah and you know what everyone who was there at your event you know they no one's no one was sitting there judging they were sitting there going, wow, she's put together this amazing thing and you looked beautiful at the event. And, you know, I think we just don't realize that people, yeah, don't, (laughs) they're just like, they're really seeing the beauty of someone showing up and you are a beautiful person. And, you know, I've been teaching my kids to do this too, like looking for things to admire in people. And the other day we were just sitting outside a shop and I was like, look at that lady's beautiful hair. And it was like, you know, a lady who was in her 60s and, it's just like, how beautiful is that when we can just look and really mm. see the beauty in people? And I'm sure as a photographer, you do that mm. naturally, but like you can't give yourself that gift. Mm. You know? It's a weird dichotomy of like being able to see it in everyone else and then looking at your photos yeah. of yourself and being like, oh no, oh no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And it's funny now because obviously I have a child and I obviously don't want her to have any of that stuff. No. So I have to model different behavior. So it's put on this like fast track of like, okay, well, I need to figure this out because this is not the behavior that I want to model for her. So that's been a really interesting journey. But as you mentioned earlier, one of the things that has shifted things for me massively, which made it possible for me to stand up on the stage and not really care that I'm like 50 pounds heavier than I want to be and 
I just had a baby. It's like, whatever. But, yeah. Uh, oh, yeah, exactly. We didn't even mention this in this whole thing <laughs> that you just had a baby and did this massive conference and all the things. Like, it's full on. It is full on. What was it's interesting big. about pregnancy is that because I've had all this body image stuff my whole life, being pregnant was like this awesome break from it. Cause I was like, I fucking love my body. I love my stomach. Like I've never looked in the mirror and been like, I am fucking rocking this silhouette, you know? Um, so oh yeah. I, I wore the tightest clothes when I was pregnant. Cause I was like, <laughs> this is amazing. Yes. <laughs> These are great proportions. <laughs> totally. And it was interesting. Cause I remember while I was pregnant, I was like, will this last Pat, you know, what's going to happen to this body once this baby's out of it. And will this feeling last? And what I found is that the the love didn't really last, but it changed everything in terms of obviously, mm. which I've heard a thousand times, but now that I've been through it, it's totally different. The respect I have for what my body's capable of is immense, but also just like, it's like this switch of like being a mom. It's like, I no longer feel like my obligation is to look a certain way. My obligation mm. is to nurture and raise this human and just be awesome. Like it's been like this ultimate permission. Now that I'm a mom, I don't need to be an object of desire or or fit in or or whatever I felt before. It's I'm a mom and I'm just a person now. And it's like such a weird paradigm shift mm. of just permission to not care really at all. Not about like never doing my hair or like looking like a slob, but to not obsess the way that I would have my whole life. So that has been a really interesting shift. And I was just thinking like the other day, I wonder if there's a way to accomplish this without having a baby. <laughs> like it's such a massive thing. I don't know if it's possible without that journey. Mm, something to think about. But I, as you were saying that, it's the same thing with money, right? It's like, mm. you know, is it okay for me to make money um, with love and acceptance of who I am? right now and move forward without that perfection anyway and just do it and And I think yeah why not underscore something you said earlier that I didn't want to brush past but I did is that that low-level anxiety that's there all the time when you get those momentary breaks from it to acknowledge it and be like this is a choice like Mm. I'm gonna choose to just not freak out and be upset or anxious about this thing like I know many of us if you have like a client call or something in the afternoon, you have all this free time and you're like, oh, I have to do that call later. Oh, I have to do that call later. Oh, I have to do that call later. And then you're like, actually, I really like talking to my clients and this is going to be awesome. And I'm going to be so fired up when I get off. Mm. I don't need to feel that low level anxiety about this because this is great what I get to do today. But if you don't actually Mm. acknowledge it and address it, it just sits there as this like, I have to, I'm supposed to stuff all the time. And I feel like we just never get a break from that. We just never get a break from that anxiety that's there all the time. Okay. I have one more question to bring it full circle. Okay. What happened with Mark? (laughs) How did you get through that? Oh yeah. Um, Like I was really serious about that. I was like, I can't see a path forward because this is is just going to happen again and again. So we went to therapy. That is insane boundary setting, by the way. That's what I was going to say. You're like, you have two choices. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. We've had, we've had these moments every couple of years. I reckon where I've just gone, this is where I'm going in my life. You're on the train or you're off the train. Um, 
and, and you know nothing drastic nothing bad but I have I have a really uncompromising vision for my life <laughs> I hadn't um, I hadn't noticed that in this conversation yeah <laughs> I know um and so we we we've done like six months of therapy we're actually going to therapy today um again not nothing like nothing's bad we've gotten through it but there's behaviors that we default to sometimes and for for Mark especially that is I will solve this problem by working harder. Mm-hmm. And I have evolved past that now and I no longer default to that behavior. Um, and so there was some, there was some friction around, around that. And so, you know, we probably will probably continue to have therapy in the next year, probably once a month, just to make sure that we're not falling into old patterns. How great. Is um, it's so great and you know what I did a lot of personal therapy this year too for the same reason because you know turning 40 everything felt like it was up for negotiation in a way and like I feel like I'm a completely different person than I was a year ago I uh, I know we're going into another tangent but at this time last year I was like who am I and I was like Mm. having all these sessions with people you tell me who I am you tell me who I am who are my guides telling me Mm. Like who's my my guides telling you who I am? Talk about external like was, validation, right? <laughs> <laughs> I was like tarot cards, astro cards, like tell me, um, tell me who I'm meant to be, and and so it was like this little vortex. And I do feel like there's times in your life where you do step through a portal, and it's like, you know, I, I could have very easily been single on the other side of that portal, but we we made a commitment to re you know reconnect and renegotiate boundaries, and again, nothing was particularly wrong, but I just had. I was like, that's not what I, that's not what I'm here for. And so we're about to move house. We're going to be in a new house for the new decade, um, you know, into my 40th first year. How cool is that? What great time. Yeah, but I was, it is, but I was like going through my wardrobe and like, I was like, but that's not me. That's not me. That's not me. That's not me. Mm. And so it's just a real shedding, a real shedding. But from the outside, it will look like I'm just being me. But it's like, for me, it's really symbolical of those things of like almost living up to the, you know, the brand images that we put out that people think is you, but it's like, um, it's a real time of shedding. It's it's really exciting. Um, yeah. And, you know, being in a new house will be, will feel very different as well. Being geographically in new spaces and, um, we get control where our tenants are moving out of our rose farm. So we'll have control of our other property and, yeah, it's really cool. Oh, that's really cool. And sidebar, I cannot wait for events at the Rose Farm. That is going to be, I'm like waiting to do yeah. my first Australia trip for a Rose Farm event for sure. Yeah, well, you know, I think that's something that I'm going to have to just jump into because um, I've got my first trial and doing just eight people. Like yeah, I saw that, yeah. February. Okay. But I've only got a week to turn over the house between when the tenants move out. Oh. And, and so my, but I've got, I've manifested my best friend is a designer. She's a TV host of shows like um, Changing Rooms. Have you got that in America where, where it's like people have like a week to ch- turn over their house kind of thing. So she's used to doing that stuff and she's filming it for her blog. And so we've got a week to like make the house look charming. And also I was like, what do you need for eight people for a mastermind? Like I was like, we will need teacups and like tea and milk. And then I keep on thinking of things. Yeah. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Like what, like where, what are we going to do? And so then I was like, I kept on thinking, Oh, it's not going to be ready to do a big conference yet. Cause we're like, we don't have enough toilets and we don't have this, but seeing Marie Folio on tour and for her, cause she came to Australia about a month ago and she's like, 
everything is figure outable. Everything is figure outable. And I was like, I just need to set a date for the first conference, hire a marquee, hire in some fucking temporary toilets, like, and just, and just do the first one. Like, it's not going to be like fire festival because we're not going to be on an Island. <laughs> like there will be, you know, like the, there will be yeah. But then I was like, Oh, maybe for the first one, we won't do glamping because <laughs> that might just be a bit or you stressful. just have like eight VIP tickets that are glampers to test it and everyone else comes exactly. normal. <laughs> exactly. So I am, I think I'm waiting to be in the new house because it, you know, like moving is very full on for your energy, right? Yeah, it is. And it's like, there's a lot going on. And so I thought, oh, wait, and see, and then just like, just pick a date and just make it happen. Um, and just, yeah, well, <laughs> you just exciting. have to jump into it sometime and see. Well, Denise, if you need speakers, I'm available. I'm just saying. Thank you. I'm going to put my I hand up. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Yeah, I think it'll be really fun, but even just having that space to have somewhere to dream and, you know, I'm, I, and actually um, I, I did some filming last week and I hired a house, which I always do. I hire a house to film in. And then I was like, oh, I'm going to build a little film studio at a roost farm. So I've got a dedicated space to do my filming, but then other people can come and do their filming too. So the vision for that place just keeps on growing and growing, which is really fun. But um, yeah, I'm excited about 2020, but also I know that it's not because of any perfection. Like I'm still going to make mistakes. I'm still going to fuck up. I've still got money blocks to, you know, to, to deal with around different things. And, but I, what I'm really excited about is I'm simplifying my business even more. So I'm like letting go of some of my other courses. I'm focusing purely on money bootcamp and I'm just going to devote myself to that program to helping as many people as possible through that. Um, because I know that that work is really important and I know that I, as an entrepreneur, I can do shiny object stuff and I'm like devotion and deep into that, into that work. I think you are such an incredible model for how to do that because although, you know, we all have, you know, a bit of shiny object syndrome and things come and go and whatnot. I think one of the things that I really I've had two really big moments in my career where I was like this. One of them was when I, you know, I'm a photographer and I knew I didn't want to be like a wedding photographer or like photograph sports or anything. But I got an internship with a maternity photographer in Seattle and I didn't want to do that either. But I realized the power of having such a strong niche in photography. It was like all she mm. photographed was basically pregnant women nude in black and white with film. Like, so niche. And she was, you know, she got referrals from this is what I offer. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was the best. Um, and I was like, Oh, and she's actually the one that suggested I become a pet photographer, which is where my photography career began. And I was like, yes, this is the perfect niche. I had just got a puppy. I was in love with that puppy. Like this is it. And that totally put me into the pet industry, which, um, I've been in for 15 years. That was like one mega moment of like, maternity photography, pet photography, niche. Yes. Another amazing moment was after I read your book, I was on your mailing list and I got your weekly videos. And I found myself after a few months, I was like, I just kept opening your emails. I was ignoring all this other stuff, but I always, yours caught my eye and I always opened them and I watched the video and they were like two minutes, three minutes, four minutes, you know, nice and short. And I remember having another big aha moment of like, this is a brilliant business model. Like one video, one email every week, one product. 
Like just the same product over and over again, not shoved down your throat. Eventually I'll hear about it. Like this is so brilliant. And that was a big moment for me of like, it can be this simple. Like it can, it can really be that simple. <laughs> like why are we overcomplicating everything? And I think obviously it's our fear. And I still do it as well, out. right? Like every, every six months I'm like, everyone's seen my money boot camp. I should create something new or like, Oh, all the people who are already in there, I should create something more advanced for them. Like I totally do the same thing too, but it's been um, such a gift to have a business, especially with having babies, as you know, you know, like three babies in like six years, I needed simplicity to be my anchor as well. And, um, yeah, it's, it's been such a gift for me. And some people really struggle with that because they want to be super creative. And it's like, you can be creative up here, but like, where does it lead to? Mm. So I've always said to myself, I can write about whatever I want. I can do whatever videos I want, but all roads lead to boot camp. I think um, that's so brilliant. So I'm not, yeah, I'm not creating down here. I'm creating up, up there, if that makes sense. Um, and that's helped me because, yeah, I'm, I'm distracted. Of course I am. And, you know, I struggle with consistency like everyone else, but it's been a real gift me but it still allows you to have magic and creativity and well it's been a real gift to others as well so I think it's you know although human not perfect like I think every one of those steps has been really interesting to watch and and I think is really inspiring and I actually today I had a consulting call with someone and I told them about get rich lucky bitch so that is like probably the book I recommend more than any other so you know I appreciate that a lot and it's you know the work is not done. Do you know why I appreciate that too so much is because I really had a block for a long time about promoting my books. And so I'm just so thankful that other people do because it's for a long time, I didn't want to tell mm, people I had I a book, that. I didn't want to sell it. Um, even now, like um, there's like um, there's a broken link for like book bonuses and I know it. People tell me every single day and I'm like, uh-huh. But let's just pretend it doesn't mm. exist. Well, if you figure out what that is, <laughs> will you, you let me know? Because I have that going on as well with my book and I just can't deal with it and I don't know why. And that's really interesting. Well, yeah. Yep. So I'm, I'm thrilled that people promote it for me in spite of my blocks. I'm like, that book's getting out to people even, <laughs> even though my best to sabotage it. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, I don't want to take any more of your time. I really, really appreciate you sitting down for a chat and kind of, of digging into some stuff and sharing and being able to let us in behind the scenes a little bit and just having a chat. Of course. Thank you. Well, I, I loved coming there. It was beautiful. And, um, I'm sure I'll be back. I'm sure, well, who knows where we'll be meet up next? Could yeah. Be any country. <laughs> Could be. Who knows? <laughs> any continent even. <laughs> exactly. Thanks, Denise. Thanks. Bye. 